Friends, what a privilege just to be preaching the Word of God again tonight. And as you know, we are in our Awesome God Sermon Series. And this is a global sermon series. So all of our Every Nation churches across the world, we are preaching the same thing. And then for us as a Twanet church, this builds up to our prayer and fast week where we annually start the year in just seeking the Lord together. So that'll be happening in that first week in February, as Marielle said. But it's going to be an incredible time, and I am so expectant that each and every one of us will be walking away from that week just with an increased revelation of how awesome God is. So last week, Philip opened up this sermon series for us with Jehovah, my Lord, and he spoke about this concept of the great I am. When God spoke to Moses and Moses asked him, who is it that sent me? And God said, I am sent you. And within this great I am, the, all the fullness of God is stored up in. And over the next three weeks, so tonight and then the next two Sundays, we'll be looking at three more characteristics of God. So tonight it is Jehovah Shalom, my peace. Then next week, Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. And then we'll be speaking about Jehovah El Shaddai, God Almighty. And we want to invite you in this sermon series, like I said last week, that we discipline and challenge ourselves not to go into the series so much with the idea of what we want God to do for us, but that we just go into this space, opening our hearts before the Lord and saying, God, will you come and reveal yourself to me? Will the great I am become informed in my life? I want to give you, as I was preparing for tonight, I want to give you this word that God's attention is on you. God's attention, His eyes are on you. He knows your life. He knows what's happening in your life. He knows your circumstances. He knows your fears. But I want to call you to respond also, to direct your attention now towards God. Now, I know with church happening online, it's so easy for us to be multitasking, um, being busy with this and listening to the sermon, doing the dishes and busy with that. And I want to ask that if you are busy with something else as well, I want to ask that you maybe just press pause with this video, um, finish what you're doing, and then come back. God's, um, God's attention is on you. And, and I want us to respond tonight by putting our attention, directing our attention towards God. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence. And I thank you that you desire to make yourself known right throughout the Bible. That is the story that God makes himself known. You reveal yourself to us. You speak to us first. You call us out, Lord, right from the garden, right up until the end. It's you. And I pray right now, Lord, that as we go into the word, that you will come and speak to us, that you will come and minister to us. I thank you, Father, that your eyes and your attention is towards us. Your attention is towards us right now in this moment. And we praise you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So peace. We're speaking about peace and God desires for you to have peace and God desires the world to be in peace. And when I speak about the concept of peace, it might mean something different to every single one of us. Now, I want to ask that if you were to put your life almost like on a scale of where you are right now, if where your life is at regarding peace, is your soul at peace? And you had to put yourself on a scale of 1 to 10. So 1 being you are in absolute turmoil, 10 meaning you are in absolute perfect peace. Where would your life be at right now? 
When you think about your emotions, when you think about tomorrow, the future, your work, your relationships, when you think about our nation, the economy, when you think about just all of the different elements in your life, is your soul at peace? And on the scale of 1 to 10, where would you find yourself? And now if you look at your position on the scale, what would be needed to move you up in that scale? What would need to happen? What breakthrough would need to come into your life for you to move up in that scale? And maybe what needs to happen or what needs to be taken away from you to be moving down in that scale? So what would give you more peace and what would take away your peace? And, and I want you just to think about that just for a moment. And we'll, we'll almost take that thinking into the rest of the sermon as well. Now, during the message tonight, we're going to be speaking about peace. So we're looking at a truth of God's character, peace. But then we'll be taking three points from the truth. So the first one is, what is the implication of this truth? Then, what is the invitation into or towards this truth? And then finally, what is the application? What is our response from this truth? All right, so I hope you guys are ready. And, and I hope that you guys are expectant and almost just anticipating to get the answers of how to live and be at peace. Now, we're going to be taking a look into Judges 6. So that is in the Old Testament. Um, so I want you to get your Bible, whether it's your Bible Bible or whether it is your phone. I want you to turn to Judges chapter 6. And while you are turning there, this is, it's quite an interesting book. And it's quite a harsh book, actually, as it paints a very clear picture of the evil of the Israelites, of how they deserted or rebelled against God, and just the extent of the evil and the destruction that they were capable of. And it tells the story of God's people rebelling, um, God allowing them to be overcome then by their enemies, and them realizing their error, returning to God. But this happens over and over and over. Now, doesn't that sound like you and me a little bit? Like going our own way, re realizing our error, going back to God, but then finding ourselves sometimes in this space. We're like, man, I just seem to be messing up the whole time. Now, there's good news for you and for me. Now, what has happened so far in the book up until chapter 6 is that Joshua led the people into the promised land, into Canaan, but God called them to defeat the Canaanites. And the reason was that they were an evil people, and some of their practices included child sacrifices. And God called His people, Israel, to be a holy nation, a people who are separate, a people who are set apart, a people who are different. And they were to defeat the, the Canaanites and live like the people of God. But what happened was they started living alongside the Canaanites. They started adopting the practices of these people and started worshiping the same gods as them. And their lives didn't look any different. And then we see that God allows them to be overtaken. They repent and return to God. But then Joshua dies. And basically they fall all the way back into idol worship again. And then we pick up the story here in chapter 6. So I'm going to read for us from uh, verse 11 up until verse 24. And I'd love for you to follow with me in your Bible. So it says, verse 11, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abezerite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. So the Midianites were another group of people who were now coming against Israel. 
And they were basically plundering everything. When they planted stuff, they would basically destroy the, the, the seeds. When um, the crop came up, they would basically plunder it and steal it. So Gideon is in a space where he's threshing the wheat, not in an open place like normal so that the wind can blow the chaff away, but in a wine press because he wants to preserve it and protect it. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And I'm thinking Gideon probably is like, Ooh, me. <laughs> and Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. It's almost like, God, if you are really for me, if you really love me, then why am I not getting the breakthrough that I'm so trusting for? Why are my prayers not being answered? Why am I not getting that job that I'm trusting for? We are all Gideons, right? And then the Lord returned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to, the Lord, to, to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that, is, that it is you who is talking to me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour it out to the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, at last, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and he called it, The Lord is Peace. So it's an incredible portion of Scripture. And we, we find the Israelites in this space where they're again against a vast army. And the people of God stand defeated, depleted, like spiritually, physically, emotionally. They're just not at a good space. They're really without peace. And then God speaks to this man, Gideon, a, a cowardly man. Someone hiding there in a wine press, working with the food that he has, trying to hold on to the little that he might have. And God speaks to him and calls him to lead the people against the Midianites. Now, if you follow the rest of the story, Gideon does in the end obey God and he leads the people to, to victory against the Midianites. And it's that famous story of Gideon and the 300 men of valor who come up against over 135,000 other soldiers and they're armed only with trumpets, pitchers like a large jug and um, torches. And then they defeat the, the Midianite army and the Amalekites. And God speaks to Gideon before they go out into this battle and he says to him, peace be with you, peace be with you. And then after this word, Gideon builds an altar and he calls it, the Lord is peace. God is peace. 
So God comes and He declares peace over Gideon and over the Israelites even before the battle takes place. And friends, this is important because then we see Gideon responding and building the altar, calling it peace, knowing that they are still going to go out into battle. They're still going to face the armies. But he builds this altar and says, God is peace. And the peace then that the Bible speaks of is not, has got nothing to do with your physical circumstances. The word peace is used around 420 times in the Bible. And if we study all of these instances where the word is used, it echoes this. And it also speaks about the peace of God having nothing to do with what you have or maybe even with what you don't have. It transcends your circumstances. The peace of God transcends your possessions. And it even transcends your life. And we see this in the story of Esther. We see this in the story of Daniel and Daniel's three, three friends who were thrown into the fire. And we see this in the life of Jesus, knowing, fully assured that he will die on the cross, that he will go through that painful execution. He says to his disciples, my peace, I leave with you. What is this peace? <laughs> What is this peace that the Bible is speaking about? And it's a very common word used in almost every language. And almost the most basic interpretation is the absence of conflict or war. But the biblical definition of peace, it can mean the absence of conflict, but it means so much more. It also points to something better that comes in its place. So it's not just that there is no war. It's not just that there is an, um, a like peace or a peace treaty. But there's now an alliance, a working together. Something better is replacing the conflict or the war. Now, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. All right? Wherever you are, say shalom. And this word has an incredible depth to it. So it means completeness. It means wholeness, health, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation and discord. That's quite a big word, right? Now, picture it in this format. You have a town or a village, and around this town, there's a stone wall built. And within this town, you have people, you have families, marriages, children, you have industries, farmers, stoneworkers, um, carpenters, ironers, what, iron workers, whatever they might be, all of these different industries. Like there's life, there's community within these four walls. And shalom would mean that every single thing in this community is in perfect wholeness. Every single brick in the stone wall, every marriage, every family unit, every industry, everything is in perfect, complete wholeness. And, and that would be shalom in that community. And if any single one thing in this community is distorted or disrupted or um, dysfunctional, then the shalom of the whole community is disrupted. So shalom is absent and remains absent until the whole community is restored into complete wholeness. What a concept, right? So when God says to him, peace be with you, shalom be with you, it's like God is saying to Gideon, Gideon, everything will be okay. I will make everything work out. I will restore everything to its perfect whole completeness. God is not saying that I will bring peace. God is saying, I am peace. Where I am, there is peace. Where I am, there is shalom. And then Gideon acts on this promise, 
even before he sees his circumstances change. So this means that you can have no war, no conflict, but not have shalom. You can have every material thing that your heart desires and not have shalom. We see this in the life of Moses when, when God speaks to Moses about the promised land, about taking the people into the promised land. And God says to Moses, Moses, I'll give you the promised land. You can go, but I'm not going to go with you. And then Moses responds and he says, no way, Lord. If you're not going with us, I'm not going. Because how will the people know that we belong to you? How will they distinguish us from the rest of the nations? And Moses knows this, the shalom that he, the people of Israel, and friends, you and me, that perfection, that wholeness, that completeness, that shalom that every single one of us so desperately seeks can only be found in God Himself. Not His blessings, not what He can do or give us, but in God Himself, His presence being with us. So what is the implication of this truth? Quite simply, that where God is, there is shalom. Meaning that your circumstances can be horrible but your, your soul can be at perfect peace, can be whole, can be complete. You might have just lost a loved one, but you can be whole and complete. You might have just lost your job, but you can be whole and complete. You might not have a roof over your head, but you can be whole and complete. The other implication is that where God is not, there is not shalom, meaning that you could have the dream job, but not have shalom. You might have traveled the world, seen everything, done everything, but not have shalom. You might have the perfect husband or wife, the perfect family, children, but not have shalom. Shalom is where everything is the way it was meant to be. And friends, you and I were created for that. When God designed you, when He formed you, when He gave breath to your lungs, it was so that you will live in perfect shalom. And you will look for it. You will seek after it. You will your life looking for that place of wholeness, completion, and perfection. So what will cause the, the presence of God, the shalom of God to be absent from our lives? Now Gideon asked this very same question almost in verse 13 that we just read. He says, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did the Lord not bring us up from Egypt? But the, now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. He's saying, why is all of this happening? You, I thought you loved us. As if he doesn't know. It's because of the Israelites who were serving other gods, other idols, and not God alone, that Shalom was missing. It's the same with Moses. When, when God told Moses, Moses, I'll give you the promised land, but I'm not going with you. Why? Because the Israelites were serving false gods. They were serving other things other than God. And God will not share His glory with another. God will not share His presence with another. He will not. So He allows you to serve that which you desire most. But then shalom is removed. When we serve anything else other than God, shalom is removed from our lives and we end up as restless wanderers in this world, looking for purpose, looking for identity, looking for security, looking for love, looking for success and prosperity, looking for wholeness and completion. So the truth is that every, every single one of us, friends, have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. 
None of us are exempt from that. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and therefore rightfully separated from shalom, not living in complete wholeness and peace and perfection. And the problem is we cannot fix it. We sometimes think we can. We sometimes think that we can fix whatever's broken inside of us or what's missing around us. And we sometimes fall into this trap of holding on to false peace or looking after false peace. But when we're honest and we become quiet within ourselves, we know that there's a deep longing, there's a desperation, there's a deep knowing that everything is not as it should be. There must be more. Everything is not in perfect shalom. But there's this incredible invitation into this truth. Um, I stumbled upon a Hebrew word study where a guy was speaking about just this word shalom in the Hebrew language. Now, um, maybe you know this, but obviously um, Hebrew language is written from right to left, not left to right as it is with English or Afrikaans or whatever you are, language you are speaking. But it also has imagery in it. So it's not just letters that makes up words, but there, there are imagery connected to these words. And on your screen, you'll see now the imagery for the word shalom. And I'm going to take you through just the symbolism or the meaning, possible meanings behind every word from right to left. So the first one there can mean to destroy. The second one can mean authority. The third one connected or connected with. And then the last one, chaos and confusion. And there's this revelation hidden within the imagery or the picture form of the word shalom that says that shalom only comes when the authority connected to chaos and confusion is destroyed. How powerful is that? So shalom can only come when the authority connected to chaos and confusion is destroyed. And then in this word, there's this promise that one will come who will destroy the authority connected to chaos and confusion. Isaiah 9 verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Who is this child? Who is this child that was born unto us? We celebrated Christmas just a couple of weeks ago. It's Christ. It's Jesus. In Nahum 1 verse 15, Isaiah 52 verse 7, and then Romans 10 verse 15, it says the following, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who proclaims shalom. Friends, whose feet do we call beautiful? Who was portrayed upon the mountains, who came proclaiming good news and a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of shalom. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Paul writes in Colossians 1 verse 19 to 20, For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in Him, in Jesus, and through Him to reconcile, to restore, to bring close all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace, by making shalom, through His blood shed on the cross. Jesus comes to deal with the conflict between us and God caused by sin. And not just the sin that you do, not just the sin that I do, but the sinful nature. It goes so much deeper that the work of Jesus on the cross deals with our desire to sin. And by dealing with sin, by paying the penalty on the cross, 
Um, for our sin, death, Jesus defeats sin and death. He nullifies the authority, friends, that is at the root cause of chaos and confusion. And when that authority has been nullified and defeated, shalom can be restored. And this is the invitation that God desires to be present with you, to dwell with you, for shalom to be with you, because Jesus made it possible. He doesn't look to your perfection. He doesn't look to your works, whether they are good or bad. He doesn't look towards your life or towards you to be um, disqualified or qualified for shalom. It's not about us. It's about the perfect and the finished and the complete work of Christ on the cross that has qualified us now to be recipients of shalom. So the invitation is that you can have shalom, wholeness, completion, regardless of your circumstances. And then Jesus gives us this promise of ultimate shalom, that one day we will live with Him eternally in the kingdom of peace, the kingdom of shalom, where there's no sin, no fear, no lack, no loneliness, no hurt, no death. Perfect, complete wholeness, everything as it should be. And number three, the application. How do we respond to this truth? If you were to reflect back on your scale, wherever you positioned yourself, where is your soul at when it comes to having perfect peace, to having shalom? You see, we see the absence of shalom or peace in our lives and in the communities we live in, whether it's depression and loneliness and performance-driven culture that we live in, this desire to be known and to do something glorious with our lives, this chase after a career or money, this the selfish nature that we sometimes get caught up in, corruption, poverty. The absence of shalom is so evident all around us. And you can be a born-again Christian and not experience shalom, be living outside of shalom. Now, does that mean that God has left you? No, not at all. But we can position ourselves outside of the presence of God. If we go back to the story of Gideon, there's a very sad part to that story. You see, when God spoke to Gideon the first time, the first thing Gideon did was to go and break down all of the idols, to break down all of the false worship and to restore the worship of God alone. But at the end of Gideon's story, just before he dies, he rebuilds some of those false idols. When, when we walk in sin, we will break shalom. When we walk in sin, we will break shalom. When we look to anything else other than Jesus, for our peace, for our security, for our identity, our significance, our purpose, our love, our affection, our belonging, our worth. When we look to anything else to be validated, to feel secure, we fall into unbelief. And unbelief is sin. And sin will cause you to be outside of God's shalom. It doesn't need to be something extravagant like sex outside of marriage or Um, being an alcoholic or having a drug problem. Now, it can be you just pouring your life into your career or you may be compromising on certain values because you don't want to lose this relationship. Anything that we put our trust in other than Jesus, anything that we put our hope in other than Jesus, anything that we put our security in other than Jesus is sin. So how do we restore shalom to our lives? How do we get back into that place of experiencing the fullness and the completion of 
um, of God's presence. And it's simple as this, friends, that we come to the Prince of Peace, that we come to Jesus. Now, if you are watching this and maybe you're not born again, I want to say to you that there is this massive invitation extended towards you tonight, that there is this massive, massive outcry or declaration, a letter from heaven towards you tonight to say you can have perfect peace in your life. The work of Jesus on the cross was for you. If you are born again, but you are not experiencing perfect peace, you're not experiencing this, per this perfection and wholeness in, in your life, just return to Jesus. Repent. Bring your life before Him. Allow the Holy Spirit to come and show you where you have shifted your focus or you've shifted your trust or you've put your confidence in anything else other than Jesus and allow Him to restore you. Friends, repentance um, in, the, in light of the finished work of Jesus on the cross is a glorious invitation. When someone says to you, repent and believe the gospel, it can sound like an attack, but it's actually such a glorious invitation because of the finished work of Jesus Sin and death has been defeated. Therefore, when we repent, we return to Christ, there is the promise of restored shalom. Just return to Jesus. A, a really incredible portion of Scripture that, that's very really dear to my heart in Philippians 4, verse 67. It says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Bring those things that burden your heart. Bring those things that, that's weighing you down. Bring those things that make you fearful. Bring those things that maybe make you feel not good enough, not worthy. Bring them before God. And the peace of God, the shalom of God, the wholeness of God, the perfection of God, the prosperity of God, the blessing of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, you have an invitation to walk in a way that those who do not know Jesus will not be able to understand. You yourself won't necessarily even be able to understand it. When God calls Gideon to say, Gideon, replenish your armies up until 300 people up against those 135,000, Gideon himself must, must, have, must have thought, well, I'm crazy. The peace of God that surpasses and transcends all understanding guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's the invitation to you tonight. Then the, the, the fabric in society is broken because shalom is lost. When we look at the world, when we look at just our neighborhoods, when we look at what's happening around us, it's not difficult to see, friends, that the world is not at peace. It's chaos because shalom is missing. And here's the thing. As Jesus restores you and me into shalom, He calls you and me to be the messengers of the message of shalom to the world we live in. And society will not get better until we, Christians, believers, take ownership of this message and to love our neighbor enough to see Shalom be restored to his life as well, his marriage, his family set up, his children, his emotions. Until we take ownership of what God has also given us, we won't see change in society. And God trusts us with that. Jesus made shalom possible. Jesus makes peace possible. But peace is not found in what God does for you, what He gives you or doesn't give you, what you have or what you don't have, whether we are in a pandemic or not, 
whether you've lost your job or not, peace is found in being with God. In being with God. And we get to be there because of Jesus. Let's just respond in prayer. While, while we're just in this moment and while you're just allowing God to just to be present with you right now, during this week, Rhett and I were just praying together and just having conversation together and just speaking about um, this journey that we're all on of getting to know God and whether you've made a decision to follow Jesus or not, but we're all in this place of seeking God and getting to know God more and more and more. And, and we shared that sometimes, often, this journey is marked also with disappointment that we, we can say, God, I'm struggling to have faith right now and I can point to things that has caused me to maybe not have faith. Lord, I'm struggling to trust you because I can point to prayers that are not answered. And, and friends, maybe you're here, you're here tonight and you're saying, yeah, God can do it, but I don't have faith that he'll, He can do it in my life. And the reality of my circumstances is just too overwhelming. The the longevity, longevity of how long I've been waiting for God, is just, it's just been too long and I've lost faith, I've lost hope, I've lost trust that God, that God will still come and do it. Now I can keep you busy tonight speaking about those places of disappointment and not hypothetical places, friends. Not, not things that I've heard in other people's lives. My life, Rhett and myself in our lives, we have prayers that aren't answered. I've lost my father. We have things happening right now that we have zero control over. And in this space, I get to choose to have peace. Not because of my circumstances and, and very importantly, also not because of my faith alone. When we look at the life of Jesus, the Bible says that He is the great high priest. He is the great mediator. He is the great one that is able to stand in the gap for us because He went through everything that we, went, we are going through. Every temptation that we've gone through, He went through. But He did not sin. He did not doubt. He did not give up. He kept having the faith. I'm not saying to you tonight that you need to be like Jesus and have faith like Jesus. I'm saying to you that even where you don't have faith, Jesus had faith. Even where you gave up, Jesus didn't give up. Where you gave in, Jesus went on. Where you lost hope, Jesus kept it for you so that the peace of God can be restored to your life. And wherever you find yourself right now, maybe you even have emotions like anger emotions or disappointment emotions directed towards God. Will you come to Him as you are? Will you come to Him as you are? In that story with, with Gideon, Gideon says to this angel, before he really, really, really realizes, oh, it's God, he says, wait here, I'm going to go and prepare a meal for you. It's almost like, with what I have, I'm going to come and prepare something for you. Are you willing to do that tonight, to say, God, <laughs> what I have is broken, but will you bring that before the Lord tonight? Friends, being in a broken space, being in a hopeless space, being in a space where you really feel there's no outcome, there's no solution for you, it is such a great space to be because when we are empty, God is able to come and fill it up. I cannot tell you what it will look like. I will not make empty promises to you that you will get your breakthrough tomorrow. But I know that God is peace. I know that God is good. 
And I know that God desires to make His fullness, His shalom, present in your heart right now. And I pray, Jesus, that you will come and minister to people. Will you just allow yourself to be vulnerable before God right now? Voice, speak out. Whether If you're with people right now, in your mind, just speak out, make known, verbal, the things that is concerning you, the things that you may be angry about, the things that you're disappointed about. Make them known to God and allow Him to come and restore perfect, complete wholeness to your life right now. May the peace of God which transcends all understanding, guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you're here tonight and you are not sure whether you are a Christian, you don't know whether you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you don't know whether you've given control of your life over to Jesus and you've allowed this Prince of Peace to also be your Prince, I want to extend an invitation to you right now. I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer. And then I need you to fill in the connection card in the comment section so that we can get in touch with you and help you in this incredible, amazing journey of knowing God. So if that's you, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. And then we'll get in touch with you in the week. So just pray this with me. Jesus, you are God. And I choose to surrender my life to you. I repent of my sin. And I thank you that you conquer sin and death for me so that I can be restored into the presence of God. I choose to follow and obey you for the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that, please do not continue without filling in the connection card. We want to get you connected. And friends, we're going to go continue just from this word in continuing to respond to God. And wherever you are, if you're at a place of peace, may you just worship God tonight. If you're at a place where God is busy working in your life right now, allow Him to continue to do it. May the words of the, the songs that we're going to be singing right now just minister into your heart. And may God just come and continue to reveal Himself to you right now.